The following is a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. Good morning. Good to see you guys. It's been a while since we've been able to do this. Um, Honestly, it is always my joy to be here and serve you guys as we preach the word, uh, but especially over the past few months because we've been online for such a long time, and so most of our interaction has been in that way. So whether it be through YouTube, whether it be through IG, um, whether it be through text, and just encouraging people, asking those questions that I know you love that we get to ask you. Um, and you guys are so eager to respond to. So thank you for that. Um, but just seeing, seeing your faces. Uh, because even as Joel kind of mentioned, really for us as we are here as leaders, when we're preaching, we're not, we're not doing Bible commentary. Uh, the truth is, the, one of the responsibilities of a preacher is to faithfully divide the word and to answer, boy, what does God's word have to say and what it said to the people at that time? But a very, very important part of preaching is what does God have to say to this particular set of people? You who we've been praying for, you who we've been thinking about, we can't help it as preachers that as we prepare, we think about your situations, we think about what's going on with you. And so, you know, we are, we are praying that as we effectively and faithfully preach God's word that you will hear God speak to you this morning. So, as we continue our sermon series in Mark, just want to encourage you to look in your Bibles, look on your phones at Mark 12, verse 38 to 44. Rest assured, God wants to speak to you this morning. And so may you hear him as we read Mark 12, 38 to 44. And it reads... And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow 
has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Lord, may the entrance of your word bring light and understanding to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, inside edition, um, this is a sort of investigative reporting type show. Some time ago, had a whole feature on twin girls who were born in England. Their name was Maria and Lucy Almer. With, and you know, with about an estimate of 1.6 million twins born each year worldwide, and a probability that one in every 42 children born will more than likely be a twin, you may ask yourself, what's the big deal? You know, why were these twins on this show? Well, the big intrigue with these twin girls is that one of them was white and one of them was black. One of the girls had blue, bluish-green eyes, the other one had brown eyes. One grew up with red, thin hair. The other one with dark brown, thick curls. So again, typically twins are known for swapping identities, doing that fun old switcheroo. But with these twins, they were way too different to pull that one off. Now again, with all that said, I know we have some medical folks among us. They will remind us that this sort of phenomenon is, is certainly quite normal. They were just non-identical twins who were born from separate eggs. Therefore, they didn't inherit the same sort of genes in that way. And even more, the parents were also biracial. So it was a biracial couple, you know, a black a very black African man and a very white woman. And so, again, despite the fact that they shared the same womb at the same time, these twins were really destined to be very different. Now, as we look at today's passage in Mark, essentially he is going to present for us two characters. We're going to see the characters of these experts of the law, the scribes, and then a widow. And as Mark narrates the story, he sets up a sort of compare and contrast scenario for us. With the scribes and the widow, we see two sets of people in comparing them. They're from similar, the similar womb, so to speak. They are from the same religion. As he describes the action, in a sense, when you look at both of them, they're both doing acts of service towards God. The actions of the scribes and that of the widow both again gain an audience of others. But when you check out the features, you're certainly going to see black and white. As Jesus begins to wrap up his public ministry, he still has a few final lessons he wants the disciples to learn. He wants to ensure that they take notice of the difference 
between the characters that are being presented. He's going to use them as a sort of negative and positive example of what it looks like for those who claim to serve God. You see, these guys, they have non-identical traits that if you see them, if you pay very close attention, you're going to realize that, okay, one of these guys I really want to exemplify and follow, then they follow the character that we should seek to go after, and the other not so much. And really, it's not an inconsequential matter because resembling one trait is going to lead to commendation while the other is going to lead to condemnation and so this story of contrast is going to teach this very simple yet very crucial principle and here's the big idea that self-sacrificial service is highly esteemed by our savior we're going to walk through this story in two sections in verse 38 to 40 we're going to look at the self-serving scribes and then in verses 41 to 44, we're going to look at the self-sacrificing widow. And so let's look at the first scenario, the first character reference that Mark wants to give us, the self-serving scribes. So you see, Mark starts his section in a somewhat very general way. You know, Mark doesn't get into any details about the time or the place per se. But based on how the structure is going, we realize this follows an incident between the scribes and Jesus before. Last week, Joel would have shown us how Jesus exposes the views of the teachers of the law. He shows how their views are narrow, they are overly simplified. Not only were the scribes' expectations about the Messiah wrong, but by extension, their teachings were ultimately misleading those who wanted to enter into God's kingdom. And so in a real sense... We realize those verses highlighted one of the ways that these teachers were off in their theological doctrine. Now here, Jesus will deliver another blow to the scribes, focusing on how these guys act, on how they behave, as Joel mentioned at the start, of how character really matters. And so this is what verse 38 says. It says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feast. Beware. Watch out. Pay close attention. Don't sleep on these guys. You see, while the scribes were seen by others as this sort of example and a standard of the disciple of Jehovah, Jesus has seen right through them. And again, check out the warning signs that he wants to highlight. Watch out for these show-offs. In the description, Jesus highlights the way that some of the scribes, they enjoy the attention of those who watched them. What were they doing? They were wearing long robes. They were wearing these colorful prayer shawls, walking up and down in the marketplace. 
And what you have to appreciate, again, what, what is here, I don't think Jesus is saying, don't wear pretty clothes, right? But really, in their whole representation, they would carry again this sort of authority. They enjoyed the, the authority that was given to them for these special guys. Again, in that time, typically, the Jew would really ascribe a lot of importance to the word of a scribe. Again, when they came around, you would typically stand in respect. And so you guys remember, or well, when you guys used to go to school, the kids, if you remember, when at, for me, at Peter and Paul, when I was sitting down and a teacher came in, everybody needs to stand and say, Good morning, Miss Whoever. Right. No, again, I think those things are a sign of respect. Those things are good. But again, the issue is these guys reveled in that door. And so when they walked in, they heard, Rabbi, Rabbi, Father, Master. These were the terms they got to hear. And Jesus wants us to be aware of these attention seekers who enjoy doing their acts of service in public to get the accolades and the affirmations of persons. Again, so you can think maybe teachers and preachers who must wear the best clothes when they come on stage. When they come, they have to have a thousand dollar sneakers. A thousand US, by the way. So I have to have my Air Jordans. I have to have the best watch. I have to dress in my Armani suit. People who crave the best seats, the positions, the recognition in the eyes of society. Again, they require the very lofty titles. Doctor, reverend, so and so. And don't believe you can say Mr. Taylor. Because they may not answer. No, 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 no. You mean Dr. Reverend. I studied a long time for that. Again, Jesus warns about this. He warns about people who want to pull rank to gain respect from followers. Again, don't ignore the warning signs. Beware. The warning continues in verse 40. Where he says, watch out for these manipulative pretenders. Look at verse 40. It says, These men who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Again, in the faith community, a scribe was not salaried. They were very dependent on the gifts of worshippers in the temple. And honestly, this is how God wanted it. This is by no means a bad thing. Just like the Levites in the Old Testament whose inheritance and livelihood came from the tithes that people gave in response to their service to God. This is something that's good. It's intended to have these people of faith to be sustained by the willing kindness and hospitality of worshippers. And so again, what Jesus is saying, he's not having a problem that these guys get paid by people and their gifts. I mean, the, the reality is 
many preachers, many pastors. This is how they are able to serve. And the scripture says, don't muzzle the ox. The pastor and the elder, especially that elder who is dedicated to preaching and teaching, he should get double honor in that way. Again, Jesus has no issue with that. But the issue that he has right now is these guys, they were doing especially all of this because for them, they wanted authority, they wanted power, and they would use that to take advantage of the most vulnerable sets of people in society. They would prey on widows. And again, for us right now, we think of widows and, you know, we don't necessarily think about them as vulnerable. But appreciate, at that time especially, a widow was very vulnerable. Remember at that time, a woman could not necessarily own and have inheritance under her name per se. So the reality is this importance of having a husband or having a son to pass on wealth was very important. And so a widow who has lost her husband, definitely those who don't have children, they were very vulnerable. You see, William Lane in his commentary on this section makes this point that Many well-to-do persons place their financial resources at the disposal of scribes. And it was inevitable that there should be abuses. You see, the charge that the scribes devoured widows' houses refers to the fact that they sponged on the hospitality of people of limited means. Again, people who would take advantage of widows people who would take advantage of the elderly, those who are lonely, those who don't have anybody to give them guidance. And so again, it's very hard to ignore some of the modern day parallels that we see all too prevalent in Christendom. As a community, we want to encourage a certain sort of Christian charity which allows us to graciously disagree with those brothers and sisters who have different views on certain theological issues. But guys, listen, where we see traits among ourselves or in places and people around us that lead to financial, physical, or emotional plundering of the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, young believers, we need to warn we need to warn. We're not to sit silent when you see that sort of things going on. Again, Jesus was saying, beware. Watch out for them. Watch out for their influence even on you. Watch out for those who manipulate others through how they apply scripture to bring about their personal agenda. Again, like Jesus, we need to echo the beware. Because again, no matter how long these guys can pray, no matter how well these guys can teach, no matter how well they can preach, if you see such self-serving traits, my friends, be on guard. Be on guard. Again, those who are given responsibility to teach God's word should do so as faithful prophets and not as profiteers. 
They should not. You see, in Matthew 23, verse 1 to 36, Jesus actually goes into a very comprehensive rebuke of the scribes and the Pharisees. A lot of woes to them. And what Mark does here is merely a summary. But again, he makes it very clear that as the one himself who is the fulfillment of God's law, the types of interpretations, the types of application that these teachers of the law were exposing, they were wrong. But not just that they were wrong, they are dangerous. They will devour you. They will devour others. You see, again, it's very easy to hear something like this and say, what's the big deal? I'm not likely to follow people like this. I'm not likely to encourage things like this. Well, Jesus thought it important to warn you. Jesus thought it important to warn you because maybe sometimes we have the tendency to, uh, maybe it's not a big deal. Uh, I don't want to judge people. Again, where we see self-serving characteristics and traits, what is reserved for that is warning. And so, again, such things matter much to our Lord. That again, this is how he caps off his warning. They will receive the greater condemnation. Though they seek to devour Though they seek to destroy, they themselves will be devoured. They themselves will be destroyed. You see, sometimes we see that very fall that happens in our age, in our time. But again, what Jesus is talking about is a divine fall. A greater condemnation that is going to come to those who follow this type of path. And again, as I preach, I'm very, very, very aware of why this warning matters to me. And this is why James 3, 1 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Just the reality. So again, this warning is not for them people out there. This warning is for me. You know, as Daniel Aiken puts it, the, the greater our revelation, the greater our accountability. To know what is right and not to do it invites the greater condemnation in judgment. And so again, by way of application in our social media culture, especially, it's very easy to be very enamored by personas while ignoring the glaring character flaws of the person. You see, over the years, many Christian ministries and leaders have fallen, not simply because they had bad teachings and they had false doctrines, but because of their pride, because of selfishness, because of corruption. And so Jesus' warning is to help us to not be naive as well if we see such things in the context of the church. If warning was a part of the training that he needed to give to his disciples, this is very relevant to you and I. And again, though very difficult to 
embrace sometimes. We need to remember parables like the wheat and the tears. And so we shouldn't get shocked that there will be people who are sown among us who resemble us in some ways, but at some point they show their true colors to show, no, they, they weren't actually of us. This shouldn't surprise us. This warning is not just, again, for us to look at those people around us, but it's to warn us of our own hearts. Maybe you are not a teacher. Maybe God hasn't put you in a position to preach and be in this position. But even in your very own heart, one of the things that we need to watch for the ways that we crave influence, for the ways that we crave seats of honor, wanting to be the greatest, our own need for approval from others and positions of power. Again, you may not be actively devouring widows' houses, but are there ways that you are resembling the scribes? The heart that is self-serving is going to continue to break the greatest commandment that, again, does not love God and does not care for their neighbor. And so again, while the crowds tend to be observing the ways of the scribes, and being very impressed and enamored by all of it, Jesus, though, has his eye on another. And so we look at the next character reference in the self-sacrificing widow. You look at verse 41 to 44. Jesus describes this setting where he says, He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I said to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had. All she lived on. Listen, Mark transitions now to what most of us will recognize as probably the, the most well-known donation story in history. You see, as people enter the treasure of the temple, we have a scene where there's a whole lot of rich people, a whole lot of people giving offering in the boxes. Again, this is a slight continuation, by the way, of what we've been talking about before. Because again, when the scribes were doing what they were doing, what did you see? You saw crowds around them. You saw eyes looking there. And in a very similar way, you're going to see the same parading of excitement and fanfare in the treasury. You see, when the rich gave, people took notice. I mean, you have to appreciate, guys, there was no wire transfer. There was no paper check. There was no cash. And so we're talking about strictly silver and gold. And so if a wealthy person is given, there is going to be accompanied with a symphony of sounds. Clink, 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 clank. Enough sounds when they would give. When they gave, heads would turn. When they gave, it would catch the eyes of people. Again, the attention of the crowds. But Jesus 
wants to bring his disciples' attention to a very contrasting scene, which from his perspective is actually a far more grand spectacle. He, he calls them to sit down and he says, he starts the sentence, Truly, I say to you. You know, again, this is a subtle point, but recognize all things Jesus says is important. But when you look at your Bible, take special notes when the author uses that word. Truly, I say to you. He's about to make a very crucial pronouncement. He makes them look at the widow who has come with her two small copper coins. You know, some of you, if you're looking in your Bibles, you might see a note where it talks about she deposited two lepta. You see, at that time, a lepta would account for the smallest coinage in circulation. I don't remember if this is still around, but a few years back, you would remember the red money, right? You know the red money you'd get that you would not really keep, you'd kind of throw it away? Because what you can buy with the red money? Yeah? Well, at best, we're talking about money for her that at that time would barely be enough to buy a simple meal. Actually, it's one over 63 of a denarius. And a denarius would have been like the daily wage for a very low laborer. And so again, she really couldn't buy much with that. But again, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. I mean, I, I can almost wonder if the disciples would have been confused at what obviously is a very outlandish assertion. I mean, what, what kind of mathematics are you working with, Jesus? Uh, Jesus, in the face of all that serious sick coil, Tick like dumpling that these guys dropping in the offering box. What are they seeing? What is he seeing? But you see again, once more, Mark wants to remind us of the very upside down nature of the kingdom of God. It's in the, in the midst of a very selfish and self-serving religious system set up to devour whatever wealth a poor widow could have, even in her lack, this Nameless woman still outshines the scribes. This nameless woman still outshines the richest of those who have come to give an offering. Again, one would ask, what about her next meal? You know, what about her sustenance? You know, what could look as, as some very reckless and irresponsible economic decision is simply a woman who is clearly very aware of how things work in the economy of the kingdom. You see, this gift is an expression of her knowing that she is in the hand of God who owns everything. You see, guys, many grand gifts have been given before. And even after this woman, if you look in your Google search and type the largest donations, you're going to find many names. You'll find Bill Gates at over US 50 billion. You'll find Warren Buffett of over 57 billion. But all these gifts have been overshadowed by this one. 
You see, because while many have been able to give out of their supply, out of their plenty, Jesus has forever immortalized this example of a widow and her two cents. In contrast to the pretending scribes and the wealthy, her faithful and sacrificial gift spoke louder than all of them combined. And so you realize that, listen, every act of service we do will gain the attention of someone. There are types of serving that is seen and noticed by all others. But there is one type of service that catches the eye of our Savior. You see, as we think of all these things, we, we need to remember aspects, though, of things we would have learned last week. You know, the question I'll pose, does our sacrificial giving obligate God to bless us? Yes, no, don't know. It's a good question to ask. I would put to you and say no. But this is what you can expect. That your sacrificial giving, whether it be your money, whether it be your time, whether it be your talents, whether it be your resources, that does please the Lord. He does take notice. He does commend us. For it is what is being modeled as the sign of what a real disciple look like. This is what discipleship looks like. Because this is the same course that Jesus himself has charted. The giving of self. The giving of all. And so I hope that you can see with this negative and positive example that Mark gives us between the scribes and then the widow. Of really what's at play is an emphasis on heart issues. Which again links back to the great commandment. You see, the value of the gift has nothing to do with the amount given, but the cost of the giver. It's the cost of the giver. What Jesus sees in her actions is a heart that is loving God with all her heart, her soul, her mind, her strength, and a love on display that sacrifices self at the expense of others. Again, in the case of money, one of the things I want us to remember here, how you use your money, how you lose your money, communicates your value system. It sheds a light on the things that you and I deem important and worthy. And so Daniel Aiken makes a, a, another helpful point where he says, Biblical and spiritual giving is the act of giving oneself and all that one has completely to God by a voluntary act that flows out of a thankful and grateful heart. It is motivated by a sincere understanding that everything belongs to God and that He is the source of every blessing. It is also motivated by gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ. You see, in a sense, this widow has been favored in her poverty. No one can outgive her. And you see, honestly, that's an encouragement to people here, even now who may feel like you're in a season that you don't have a lot. You see, even in that position, there's an opportunity in that season to learn to trust and honor God with whatever little you believe you have. 
This is GFC. One of the questions I want to ask you and ask myself, how can we be a people that position ourselves to not walk in the trajectory of the self-serving scribe, but instead this path of self-sacrifice? You see, in a world that aspires for influence and reaching position of importance, could you and I start to have a personal vision of how we can give of our finances, give of our time, our gifts? In what ways can we be deliberate about pouring out our lives for others? Maybe to you who are a parent, to uncles, to aunts, to teachers. Should this passage shape the outlook we give to children regarding the kinds of career paths that we encourage? What are careers for? Are they a route to become like the scribes or a career path position to be better and to earn more? Or are we positioning them to serve others? Are we reminding children that their focus should not be on paychecks, but to be positioned to serve their God and to serve their neighbor? See, I want us to remember that as disciples, we are called daily to give of ourselves for the sake of Christ. But knowing that he does that, I want you to realize that as we give this life of sacrificing your time, yourself, your energy, that Jesus proudly looks on you. He looks on with pride and he is very ready to strengthen you. You know, I read something talking about by 2030, it's expected that 18% of our population is going to be 65 years or older. Again, in the midst of a world that applauds the plans people have to be independent and to stand on their own, will some of us embrace the physical and emotional demands of caring for aging parents, aging neighbors? Recognize that when you do something like that, Jesus will give his commendation. Mother or father, you may not have a great audience with the who's who's when you sacrifice your time and energy to serve your family, but Jesus watches intently. You who are in the workforce after a long day seeking to honor the Lord in your vocation and not succumbing to the pressures of chasing the mighty dollar and running the rat race, and you're spent and you're tired. And you don't have no more energy. Recognize that God is ready to strengthen you. As you decide to, you know what? I'm going to engage at home. I'm going to engage with my spouse. I'm going to be intentional with my children. I'm going, I'm going to call a friend. I'm going to have some conversations. I'm going to give more. You may not be called an A player when you go back to work. But trust me, your king takes pleasure. Children, when you're at school and you have friends and classmates who, again, may be ignored because 
you know, them don't play football as good as other people, or them slow at learning. The time that you spend to engage with a classmate like that, or to help them, you may not get the attention of your friends or your peers, but trust me, Jesus takes notice. 1 Peter 3.12 says, The eyes of the Lord watches over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. You know, as we conclude, from the very beginning, Mark wants to show how Jesus is on mission to build the kingdom of God. And part of his building material are individuals who match this type of trait that we have been extolling. This type of trait of self-sacrificing service to God and to others from a heart which is surrendered to him and puts their trust in him. You see, Grace Family Church, Jesus wants us to be aware. He wants us to be attentive, to, to discern in our own lives the different ways he may be calling you to give gifts. Whatever that is, you need to be aware because you and I, we are tempted to judge the quality of our gifts, the quality of our service by how big that act is and how big of an audience we have. We, in those moments, must be honest with ourselves. But recognize that the Lord cares and notices a certain type of giving. Be empowered by our Lord, who has already walked a path that had given his whole life for the honor of God and the glory and for the benefit of those who would trust in him. Let us, Grace Family Church, daily aspire to walk this life of self-sacrificing service, which at the end of the day is highly esteemed by our Savior. And as such, nothing else matters. Let's pray. You have just listened to a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.